Hello. Welcome and thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast, The God Beyond the Bible. Our podcast is released weekly each Friday. The content of each episode is based on the questions and curiosities we all have about God and the Bible. Many of our topics are considered taboo in the minds of the mainstream church. You will find our discussions to be, I think, refreshing and often far from traditional. But we don't just skirt around these complex issues, but confront them head on, and not in the way you're used to hearing them discussed on typical Christian talk shows. I'm Alan Rowland, creator and host of The God Beyond the Bible. As of the launch of this podcast, I've been a pastor for more than 35 years. My co-host is my daughter, Trayson, and our engineer, co-producer, is my daughter, Tabitha. Our mission is to encourage our audience, along with us, to open our minds to the reality that God is simply too big to be fully explored or experienced by the reading and studying of a single ancient work. In short, the Bible's not the sum of God, and to think this is to limit what He has done, is doing, and what He will do in our future. So with introductions made, thank you for listening, and let's dive into the topic of the day. And welcome, listeners, to podcast number 66 of God Beyond the Bible, the podcast built, directed, designed by seekers and for seekers, even podcast by seekers. (laughs) Here we are in late May at the time of this recording, and since we're recording this episode a few weeks ahead uh, of its intended release, and just in case you're expecting a shout out from us, please be patient. And speaking of shout outs. Yeah, our shout outs this week are to Belinda and Kyle. We're glad to have you guys on board. You bet. Okay, our quote of the week is from Mahatma Gandhi, and he said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. I like that. That's really good. So last episode, we kind of pondered and discussed our conscious existence and mainly just wanted to submit for your contemplation and meditation listeners, the idea that God would not only have, that God would only have to extend our consciousness beyond physical death for us to become immortal or terminate our conscious awareness for us to perish. Mm -hmm. Now, this episode uh, will move a little further away from what some consider mystic speculation and talk about a more tangible topic. It is what's known in theological terms as the Olivet Discourse. We know it as Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24. Okay, so to jump into segment one, probably by now you've already encountered someone who is saying that this current world event is the beginning of the end. And many use Jesus' words in Matthew 24 of peril, war, and famine to back up their spread and of fear. And pestilence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to back up their spread of fear and doom. So today we'd like to take a closer look at the dialogue and events that are surrounding the prompting of Jesus giving these prophetic words and also consider his intended audience. The only way to begin is to consider, be it intentional or accidental, how the mistranslation of a single word in our modern Western text has opened the floodgate for centuries of misunderstanding and misinterpretation. So to get to the critical word that has been the source of so much concern, fear, and confusion, let's begin by reading the first three verses of Matthew 24. Verse 1 says, As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. Verse 2, But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. All right, so before we continue with verse 3, let's get a firm grasp on the conversation and events so far. First of all, who all is present? It's Jesus and his Mm -hmm. disciples. 
And as far as we can glean from the three gospel accounts that record this, it was a private discussion concerning a topic that was very dear to all of them. And that topic was Jesus' precise and clear single statement concerning the destruction of the Jerusalem temple, which is the single most important symbol of their faith and their connection to God. Now, if we will read the text at its face value, now we're still talking about Matthew 24, Mm -hmm. the first three verses is what we're talking about here, in case you missed that, in case we flew through it too fast. And we've read the first two verses. If we read the text at its face value and meaning without inserting preconceived ideas, it should be very clear that the prospect of the temple being completely and utterly destroyed would cause great concern and alarm. Uh, Now, if we were standing there as a practicing Jew by race, culture, and religion, as all the disciples were, Mm -hmm. we would not have anything else on our minds except for the bold statement Jesus just made that if it it would come to pass, uh, if it did come to pass, it's going to change everything about the world we then lived in and as we knew it. And let me just clarify that. If you were standing there as a practicing Jew, a disciple of Jesus, you wouldn't be worried about anything, but when he made the statement, I'm telling you, this temple's going to be not one stone left upon another. That's all that's going to be on your mind. Right. It was. I mean, that was... That's central to all Jewish life of that era. It's hard for us, too, because we think of church as being somewhere you go once a week and maybe twice a week, you know. But this was an everyday event for them. You go to the temple. That's where your socialization happens. That's where business deals are made. Their entire lives revolved around this temple that they saw God as dwelling in. So let's get a good picture. They're walking around and look at the beauty. Now, listen, folks, this was a big place. Mm -hmm. Inside the temple walls could hold a billion people. Really? Yes. That's what I've been told, that that they're... That 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 it was that, that big. It was that big. She said, well, you know, I'm always thought of just a little yeah, building yeah, with a deal, yeah. but I mean, it could, it was immense. Wow. It was huge, and the walls were made. It was a fortified city in itself. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the walls of Jerusalem that surrounded the temple. Right, it was right. a fortified mm-hmm. city. Okay, so now that we know the intensity of the moment and how shocking this statement would be to those in the disciples' position, Tracen, why don't you read verse three for us? Verse 3 says, Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all of this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Yes. Now, in case you haven't already guessed it, it's the final phrase of verse 3 that has given rise to so much alarm and speculation, even to this very day in which we live. When that's the question they asked him, they got him in private, said, Tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? But before we tackle that statement, we need to remember what the disciples' single concern would have been, and that would have been the destruction of the temple. Some have said that the disciples presented three distinct questions to the master involving three separate and different periods of future time. We humbly submit for your consideration that reading our English translation, it may seem like three distinct and separate questions, but it was not. It was three questions, but in the disciples' mind, they were all connected to one event, which was the destruction of the temple. And I will say, too, um, it is really common still to this day in Hebrew and Jewish culture to phrase something in one question several different several ways, different yes. ways to sort of clarify which part of that you're wanting answered. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have to give a backup. No. You have right. to turn around. But in this case, 
I'm convinced they were asking one question. To, for them, all this was all in a bundle. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was all going to happen together. So now let's look at the question from their perspective. Tell us when all this will happen. The King James Version makes it even clear that they weren't talking about three separate events. It reads, tell us when these things shall be. One question pertaining to one event with multiple factors involved. They had no reason to misconstrue anything Jesus had said so far as pertaining to anything but the troubling prediction of the temple being destroyed. Now back to the verse. Tell us when shall all this happen or when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of that coming and the end of the world? Now think about this a moment. There seems to be one question they did not ask. When will the temple be yeah, destroyed? Yeah, that's the most pressing one, and it is, when will the temple be destroyed? But the reality is, Tabby. Yeah, the reality is that is the only question asked because it is clear that in their understanding, it is all part of the one and same event. So now the translational error or possibly intentional mistranslation The last part of the question reads in most of our Western English translations, what will be the sign of the coming and the end of the world? And when we read the phrase, the end of the world, where do our minds go? Our minds automatically, we we read it today, our minds automatically shift from the present time, which would have been the disciples standing Mm -hmm. there curious and concerned about the fall of the temple. Uh, Our minds automatically shift from the present time audience and attend to the question to thousands of years in the future please allow this to sink in if you have a translation with footnotes there should be an asterisk i sound like everybody loves raymond there (laughs) or margin note informing the reader that the word translated world should read age instead of world it is the greek word a-i-o-n aeon i think i printed you guys as wrong a-e-o-n but if you looked it's a-i-o-n it is the greek word aeon which means age, not world, and is properly translated age in other passages. But for whatever reason, it was translated world in Matthew 24, which has a profound impact on how we read and interpret that whole passage. It does, and it makes you wonder if the people who are translating it, rather than it being necessarily intentional, if they already had that preconceived idea well, sure. it's of pretty, what it meant. It's pretty clear to me that they did. They were looking for a futuristic end of the world because the, remember the people that translated this into Eng- English didn't even exist right? when this was said and written. So if you think about it for just a moment, this was translated, when was it first translated into English? It was in 1600? I think so 15 in the King 16th James century. Was the first English translation was he not? I, I guess it I was. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not going to yeah, go that far. Don't get me on that because I'm not. Yeah, but anyway, but, a, but remember, by then, they already had the preconceived idea that the disciples, that Jesus wasn't talking about the destruction of the right. temple because they had already made this a future prophecy in their doctrine. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we need them for the word, we need, to, we need the text mm-hmm. to match what we already believe. And there's where we start getting in trouble. Okay, so when we read the proper translation of the word and read the question as, what will be the sign of your return in the end of this age, most students of text would quickly lock into the fact that they were talking about the end of the Jewish age or the end of the, na- of the nation covenant age, marking its final blow and making complete the transition to the new covenant age or the kingdom age. And wouldn't it have been different if, and I noticed that, my King James Version did not put the footnote in it. 
Really? But my New Living Translation yeah. translated it world, but they still put the footnote there, mm-hmm. age. Do you wonder why they didn't just change it, why they put the footnote? Well, the, remember, this is much. all, the, the New Living Translation was all done by preachers and pastors, and and it had to be approved yeah. by every yeah. denomination. They that were walking. W- so they, you know, that would have been But I will one. tell you, until I really started looking into this, I never paid much attention to that footnote. I mean, it was there, sure, where I could see it. Well, but most people don't. But or I they say have... age. Well, that means the yeah. world. But no, no, not material world, a period of time, which was an age, a, right. a definite period of time. All right, guys, that's a lot to digest and think about. And if this is the first time this concept has been presented to us, we may find ourselves vehemently rejecting it, not on the face value of the text, but based on our preconceived idea of what was being said. And let me tell you that everyone sitting around this table has been there sure. yeah. at some sure, point. Sure, I would have I would have argued against this and said, no, this is not because I would have argued for the sake of arguing, not because I was thought I was right. Well, because I did think, but, but not because I was right, because I thought it was right. right I'll get it down right. here in a minute. So as we take a moment to regroup and return with the second and final part of this two-part episode, we need to make ourselves this promise. Before we totally reject what is being presented, do some research on the translation of that one word, aeon, A-I-O-N, and discover how it means the end of an era or an age, not the end of the material world. Is anyone still listening out there? Welcome back to part two of this two-part episode of God Beyond the Bible. Let's just jump right back into our topic in Matthew 24, where the disciples come to Jesus privately on the Mount of Olives and ask him about the only statement he made concerning the destruction of the temple. Okay, so let's at least entertain the idea that the disciples were not concerned about or even thinking about some event that might happen thousands of years in the future as we tend to think about when we hear the phrase the end of the world but that they considered and it's clear that they did consider the destruction of the temple the return of christ and the end of the jewish jewish age to all be one and the same event and you know we kind of invented i want to say something right there we've kind of invented that return of christ mm-hmm. it's he always says when i come into my kingdom when I come, and he talks about coming into his kingdom, mm-hmm. not necessarily returning to earth to rule the earth, and we're going to talk about that. Well, and this is something, too, that kind of brought it in some of my readings and stuff. Someone asked, how worried do you get when on TV they announce that in another 100,000 years an asteroid's going to destroy the earth? Or let's go further than that. If, if, if you know, let's don't get into the debate of the global warming thing, but they say in global warming that in time, in, in a, within a thousand years, let's just say they say in a thousand years that the coasts are going to lose five feet of their land or 10 feet of their land sure. or whatever around the whole coast. And, and we can't even and process the, that. And the, temp- and the temperature is going to raise by like point four degrees you know mm-hmm. and all that i'm just throwing some numbers out there don't sure, any, any of you folks that are about that process something what does that, that mean to you future? and i right now especially if someone has just told you they're you know everything you know about your way of life's about to end exactly 
You're not going to yeah. be it. And Jesus, that would be that would be unfair that Jesus was going to jump in and out and start talking about something's going to happen. Now we know it hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. as far as what everybody's saying and is going to happen. Two thousand years. Two thousand years. So why why would there be any motivation for Jesus to muddy up the waters here and cloud up what's being said by throwing in some end of the material world right. dialogue? Uh, where did we get to? Three. No, two. Okay. But wait. Christ didn't return during the siege and destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, did he? The question is, how do we know he didn't appear? Everyone inside the temple walls died after the, uh, you you know, they died in that place after the final siege began. They either died or were supernaturally taken out. We don't know. Before we get too kinked up, let's consider that Jesus was clearly talking about a real and imminent threat that was looming over the temple in the city of Jerusalem. He began by giving them real signs that history confirms really happened. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. And if you have ever read anything of Josephus, all of these things clearly did. As a matter of fact, I read somewhere, I think it may be in here, but they believed that there was close to a million of the Jews that actually starved to death. Mm-hmm. It was really a horrific It was terrible. Time they, they resorted to cannibalism, mm-hmm. according to Josephus. Okay, so consider the geographical position of the land of Judah, which was the nation of Israel at that time. It's a small piece of land that was positioned between what soon became two warring kingdoms. And Judah was the only access these two kingdoms had to war with one another. The Roman Empire was quickly becoming fractured into warring fragments, just as Daniel had predicted. Each army marched across the land of Judah, taking resources from the land each time. By the time the final siege on Jerusalem and the temple occurred less than 40 years after Jesus made the Olivet prediction, Josephus estimates that more than a million Jews had already died by famine yeah, and disease. I jumped ahead there, didn't yeah. I? That's okay. All right. So now, Jesus was not speaking figuratively, was he, Tracy? No, and he said that because we had a typo. In yeah. our, <laughs> he knows me really well. Jesus was not speaking figuratively, but literally when he went on to say to the disciples, when you see these things begin to happen, flee. Well, let's stop right there. When you see these things who's he speaking to obviously his disciples disciples on it's still the same Olivet discourse when you why would he say that to them if this was something that was going to happen 2,000 3,000 years in the well, future why wouldn't he say like has been said in other parts write this down for future generations so Trayson when you see these things begin to happen flee Don't hesitate to pack a suitcase or travel bag. Just bug out for the hills. (laughs) Get out of Dodge. Run for your lives. And this is just what many did who heeded Jesus' warning. And they lived because of it. But those who stubbornly remained, especially those inside the walls of the temple, were surrounded and trapped with all of their food supplies cut off. In fact, I understand that... Was it Titus Caesar at this point? Nero was dead. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the army, the Roman army, actually banked up a big bank of dirt around it. So they had complete control. They could see anyone trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And they just basically, and then there were wars going on inside the city of Jerusalem between factions. They were killing each other. 
Yes. In, inside there. So get this idea. This is all that Jesus was talking about. He was telling them, why would he physically say, don't go back into your house to get your coat? If that's rapture. Right. Why do you need a coat? That's not even an issue, no. is it? Okay. Tell you, I think, are you six? No, I'm six. The only reason we have difficulty believing that Jesus made a return and rescued many from an agonizing death is the unsubstantiated idea that his return meant the end of the world. But remember, he didn't say that. No. They didn't even ask him that. They said, what's going to be the end of this age? Mm -hmm. Your return, the end of the They considered the destruction that was going to be. Why was it going to be the end of the age? Because it was going to be, that was what. That was the end of life as they knew it. As they knew it. That's mm -hmm. what the old covenant revolved around, the temple. Okay, so let's take a break for a moment from Matthew 24 and back up to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. And these are going to be out of the King James Version. And write, and write that down if you need to. Make a note. Yeah, Matthew We're 16. We're going to Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. Okay, verse 24 says, Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25 for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give up in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And verse 28 says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, he didn't say. What did he say? Coming in his kingdom. kingdom. So again, we are informed that this was a private discussion between Jesus and his disciples following the transfiguration. How would you interpret the master's words when he talked about his return in the glory of his father and tagged it with, pay attention, I'm telling you an important truth. Some of you standing here will not die before it happens. I mean, can we? You it, would expect. He doesn't separate out the destruction of the. Here he's talking about a return, right? Mm -hmm. He's talking about coming into his kingdom. Uh, then you think that they were interpreting. Well, he means someday. But we're going to talk about that. Notice he never said anywhere that he was coming to physically rule over the earth but always said he was coming in his kingdom. When Pilate later asked Jesus if he was a king, Jesus acknowledged the question by replying, my kingdom is not of this world. How much? Well, there's, there's from the master's mouth. And even Pilate would have understood that Jesus was saying that he was not to be king over a material, physical kingdom. And this leads us to conclude that he must have been talking about a spiritual reign and kingdom. That's right. That's right. You, you can't, when you, in its context, you can't interpret it any other way. You just really can't. Let's apply, our, let's apply our new knowledge to one more passage. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, we're jumping over to Acts, the first chapter of the book of Acts, verses 9 through 11. This text is immediately following the ascension of Jesus from the Mount of Olives. He made them one more promise of the Holy Spirit, and then he rose into the air. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 1 says, And when he had spoken these things, while they, the disciples, beheld, Jesus was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Verse 11, Which also said, 
Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, there are translations that have inserted the word someday. In fact, I'm a little disappointed. The Living Translation is one of them. The really? New Living Translation is one of them that says someday. And say, I don't know why. I'm, go ahead, Tracy. Just start really? again. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are certain translations that have inserted the word someday into this statement the angels made to the disciples. And again, it changes the whole interpretation. If you were one of the disciples standing there who were present at the Olivet Address in Matthew 24, were present and aware of Jesus' statement in Matthew 16, clearly telling you that some of you would live to see his return, and then you were told that you would see Jesus return in the same manner you saw him leave, what would your expectation be? And what would it be? I would expect to see him coming back. I just had a flashback. You guys still have your deal. When I... When Tabitha read that, I didn't say Matthew 13, did I? No, no. Oh, did I? Okay, all right. No. I was because for some reason I had a flashback <clears throat> of Matthew 13. Yeah, I thought I'd written the wrong scripture, down, written the wrong text down. Okay, so back to Tracy's question. If you were a disciple standing there, Jesus has already said to you, some of you standing here will not taste death till you see this happen. Then an angel, Jesus ascends into heaven, and an angel says, This same Jesus that you have seen go into heaven, you're going to see him return the same way. What would you think? I am going to see him, not my descendants 2,000 years or more down the road. Absolutely right. You wouldn't even be thinking, what would make us think that Jesus then just threw him a curve by saying, someday. Yeah. Yeah. They're not worried about someday. Well, and I wanted to read a quote, and I'm, I'm hesitant because I didn't write down the verse, and I thought we covered it in here. Does anyone know what Matthew 24, 34 says? It talks about some of you standing here shall not... I think it kind of repeats maybe what yeah. we read in Matthew 16. An indicator, yeah. I don't okay. know. What, I can't quote right. it. C.S. Lewis, and, and I was kind of disappointed when I read this, but I wanted to read uh, you yeah. someone's uh, buddy, opinion. Are you a buddy with C.S. Lewis? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, but he stated this, that Matthew 24, 34 is the most embarrassing verse in the entire Bible. And he's... It's from he wrote his, that? Yes. This is a direct quote from his essay, and it was the essay called The World's Last Night. He says, quote... Say what you like, we shall be told the apocalyptic beliefs of the first Christians have been proved to be false. It is clear from the New Testament that they all expected the second coming in their own lifetime. And worse still, they had a reason, and one which you will find very embarrassing. Their master had told them so. He shared and indeed created their delusion. He said in so many words, this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. And he was wrong. He clearly knew. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he clearly knew more. He clearly knew no more about the end of the world than anyone else. It is certainly the most embarrassing verse in the Bible. Yet, how teasing also that within fourteen words of it should come the statement, "But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no not the angels which also are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father." The one exhibition of error and the one confession of ignorance. And he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus to fit. No other way to put it bluntly, but to fit his own agenda. He is calling Jesus. Uh, Calling him out. Yeah. Calling Jesus out that he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. That he didn't know what he was. Now, let's go to that. No man knoweth the day and the hour thing. Mm -hmm. Notice he didn't use the age there. He used 
I'm not going to give you the exact date. I'm going to tell you how to know when it's here. Yeah, yes. I'm not going to give you the exact date because it was depending on a lot of things. It was going to depend on the Romans are going to make a decision. Mm -hmm. You know, we act like God just instrumented and moved. Jesus just knew it was going to happen. He said, and I, and we, anyway, well, well, but, the reason but to I force that, that C.S. Lewis thing, that just blows my mind that a guy that, it, 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 let's go ahead and say it, isn't he a Calvinist extraordinary? Yeah. Any hyper-Calvinist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. But, you know, and that's that's one thing. I'm not, reason, not to no, want to offend no, our Calvinist friends. I'm just saying. That's one reason I wanted to read it, though. When we become so close-minded and conce conceited, conceited that our, uh, we have I would to rather call Jesus wrong. Ooh. Yeah. 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 I'll say before I will consider that I might be wrong, I'll call Jesus out that he's yeah. wrong. That's bravery. I'll Ooh, give him that. my goodness alive. I'm sure it doesn't bother Jesus. <laughs> Jesus yeah. is fine with right. that. It ain't about the God. He's Am fine I number with that. nine, y'all? Yes. yes. Okay, so for us to force any other interpretation or even make statements like, well, the disciples knew what Jesus was talking about someday, far, far in the future, when they would all be long dead and gone, is at best a terrible method of interpreting the text that clearly says otherwise. Mr. Lewis. Yeah. I started to say, as I feel like calling now, Jesus. And, and hold your finger right there where you are, because I want to say something about C.S. Lewis's statement. Mm. This is what is common, because this is what you have to interpret. If you're going to say Jesus that what Jesus predicted did not get fulfilled, and it did in A.D. 70, then it's still got to be fulfilled. So the only way you can square that is to say, well, the disciples didn't understand mm -hmm. they just didn't understand what jesus was talking about and jesus left them then that means jesus just left them thinking this is about to happen anytime and they were in error they were just all in mm -hmm. air. I, I, guys excuse we, me that just borderlines on just making me sick yeah guys we there's where been, we are in our yes christian modern mm -hmm. christian deal that we'll we'll call jesus out mm -hmm. and i'm i'm gonna use we on this we have been brainwashed into forcing the text to say something that it never says. We've grown so used to such erroneous translational discrepancies like the changing of the phrase end of the age to end of the world that we have become brainwashed to the degree that we are in danger of wrongly interpreting <laughs> even the words that Jesus said in spite of the clear fact that it wasn't what he said at all. Right. Mm, 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 so you want to conclude know. i us? guess so yes it's time i'm still stunned by that c.s lewis <laughs> thing uh now we promise this isn't the last word on this topic uh in fact we've got another podcast coming mm -hmm. right up mm -hmm. to back this up in fact we're recording both of them today and let me say we're running on generator power here where we, we are, are. <laughs> we're out of power it's a uh, memorial day yes and we've been out of power since about 10.30 this About morning? About 10.30 or 11 o'clock this really morning. And that's really uncommon here. And so we, I rigged up a generator where we could go ahead and record today. So maybe you won't hear it or maybe it won't show up in the in the background. The conclusion. We promise this isn't the last word on this topic. We sincerely hope that as an open-minded seeker, we must at least consider what has been discussed in this episode and consider the idea that we may have been misled uh, when it comes to important issues such as Christ's return and phrases like the end of the world. And there again, I keep throwing in, I'm so brainwashed, I use Christ's return. He said, when I come in my kingdom. Right. Yes. And, and, that's, and there's a whole big deal. You see how? You, have to, you, you want to use those trigger words. Yeah, I keep, I, I fall right into that rut. Uh, Tabitha, are you going to? 
All right. So until next time, may God's grace, peace, and love be on you, in you, and radiate out from each of you, our fellow seekers, from all of us here at God Beyond the Bible. Did you enjoy listening to God Beyond the Bible? Do you have an idea for an episode? Connect with us today. Visit our website at godbeyondthebible.com, all one word, or send us an email at email at godbeyondthebible.com, or you can visit us on Facebook. Just type God Beyond the Bible into the search bar.